0: Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at coreanesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back
1: to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner, and today we wanna move our discussion into immunology. And the immune system, and how our body is made up of different types of immunity systems that work together to keep our bodies alive. Because, in all honesty, there are thousands upon thousands, if not more, microbes that come into contact with our body every day. And how does our body prevent us from becoming infected and sick and basically breaking down on a daily basis? And it's just an incredible process, but it's also a very in depth process. And by no means are we going to go fully in depth today. We're just gonna do more of a bird's eye view of this process and how our bodies work. So really our bodies, how they fight this off is by recognizing foreign substances by picking up on these molecules on the surface of these microbes called antigens. So maybe you've heard of that word before, but antigens are specific to each substance. So one microbe has a different antigen than the next microbe. Usually these are protein molecules on the surface of a substance. They can also be other things. And so our bodies respond to these substances using either the innate immune system or the adaptive immune system. So Tanner, do you just want to start us off here with the innate immunity?
0: The innate immunity is going to be basically your first line of defense. So this is the first thing that's going to recognize a foreign substance. It's going to be a very rapid response and it's going to be very nonspecific. So what does that mean? Basically, it doesn't care. Like Cole mentioned, the antigen is going to be very specific to the molecule that it's on, the innate immunity doesn't really care what that antigen is. It just knows that it's foreign. So it's just going to say, this is not self. This is non-self. We need to attack this. We need to basically stop its spread. So think of these like your skin, mucosa, the flora in the gut, so these are going to be basically your first line that is going to be analyzing different substances and deciding is this self versus non-self. If it decides that it's non-self, it's going to start the immunity process. The main things that you'll see with these are going to be your granulocytes. Those are going to be the things that end in fill, so neutrophil, basophil, eosinophils. You'll have your A granulocytes, your dendritic cells, and your cytokines. These will all be factors that are involved in your innate immunity. Your neutrophils are going to be the first thing that respond to the inflammation. So as soon as this inflammation starts, they're going to release cytokines. Neutrophils are going to be first on the scene, and they are going to engulf or phagocytize the foreign substance. So those are going to be the first things on the scene and basically try to slow them down. Innate immunity isn't going to be something that is going to take care of all issues. Think of it as small things, it'll take care of larger things. It's basically just trying to slow down the spread until your adaptive immunity can get onto the scene. So your neutrophils are there. They're going to, again, just starting to engulf these foreign substances and do their best to try to mediate this foreign body. Basophils; those are going to be in the GI, respiratory, skin areas. Those are the ones that release histamine, more cytokines, and prostaglandins. So they're also going to be signalers. And then you have your eosinophils. So those are, again, found in your GI, respiratory, uh, but also in your urinary tracts as well. Your sites, so these are going to be your monocytes and macrophages. These are going to phagocytize the microbes and then produce nitric oxide and more cytokine. So you start to get the picture here that they're going to do their best to try to eliminate these things, but then they're also going to send out signals. And that's really what your adaptive immunity is going to start picking up on. Dendritic cells are antigen presenting cells. So this is important because they will come onto the scene. They will basically chew up whatever they are attacking And then they'll take the antigen part of that microbe and they'll put it out on their receptor. So they'll engulf this microbe and then they'll present that same antigen on their cell surface. And so then other cells are able to see this antigen. They become alerted to it and then you can start having your adaptive immunity with your T and B cells. Cytokines, we've already mentioned this a few times, but these are made by... A granulocytes. These are basically just second messengers that are going to activate other cells in your immune system. Another thing that we should talk about here are your complement proteins. So these are going to basically mark these microbes and then recruit more immune cells to attack it. So kind of to wrap all of this up for your innate immunity, just think of it very simply that it's going to be fast responding. It doesn't really care what the antigen is, it just cares that it's non-self. And so it's going to attack it, do its best to destroy it. You're going to have a lot of macrophages and other things that are going to phagocytize these different microbes. And then after that, they're also going to send out all these cytokines. And then you also on your dendritic cells have these that present the antigens. So they're going to alert then your adaptive immunity to come in and kind of bring the big guns and then actually take care of the problem if your innate immunity can't handle it.
1: Yeah. So I like to think of the innate immunity as, like Tanner said, the first line of defense, it's basically trying to prevent whatever foreign substance that is from getting inside the body. When you get into the body, here is where you're really going to start to have this adaptive immunity take place. And this is a slower response than that innate system. But like Tanner said, it's going to be way more specific to each individual antigen. And so the advantage is, is that it can create memory cells. So let's say that it builds up a response, which I'll get to here in a second. To a specific pathogen or antigen, it will then store memory cells of how to break down and kill whatever antigen cell that is, so that next time you're exposed to that same exact antigen, the body already has cells prepared to then break it down. And that's kind of the picture with when you get immunizations is that you get the body to make these cells and memory cells prior to then actually getting the disease so that if you do get the disease, you already have cells that can fight it off. And we'll get to that here in a little bit later in the talk. So cells in the adaptive immunity are going to include T cells, B cells, natural killer cells, and then natural killer T cells. So T cells are made in the bone marrow, but they end up maturing in the thymus. So T cells, T for thymus is how I remember that and they split into two different types of cells. You have your T helper cells and your cytotoxic T cells. T helper cells are basically just the, exactly what it says, the helpers of this adaptive immunity system. They kind of communicate and encourage and activate other cells to be made in this adaptive immunity. So they're gonna stimulate B cells and then other T cells to be made. The cytotoxic T cells, these are the, the big guns that actually go in and try to kill the foreign cells or foreign antigens. As Tanner said, the dendritic cells and some other cells already are going to chew up whatever molecule that is that comes into the body and is going to present the antigen on the outside of this cell. Well, then they're floating around in the body and the cytotoxic T cell will go try to kill the cell that's presenting the antigen. So really think about that. It can be, for one, the microbe that's presenting the antigen, but also cells in our body that are then presenting that antigen. So typically, these antigen-presenting cells have what we call MHC1 receptors on them that they use to present that antigen for, and that's really what they're trying to target here. Now, on the other side of things, you have the B cells. So B cells will differentiate into plasma cells and then memory B cells. And the memory B cells, as you recall, are the ones that will be used later in a second exposure. Now, the plasma cells that are differentiated from the B cells are what's going to turn into our antibodies. So we can make five different classes of antibodies, and they're called IgM, IgG, IgA, IgD, and IgE. So IgM is usually the first to be produced in a response to a microbe, followed by IgG. And these other ones have specific things that they do in the body and things that they attack. But those are kind of the main 2 we we're going to talk about today is IgM and IgG now it's important to know that it takes up to really a week to produce enough of these b cells to really form an attack with a bunch of antibodies to the microbe so that's why it's really important that if you already have the b memory cells made on a second exposure you're not waiting for that lag time for those b cells to be made and differentiated into plasma cells and then made into the antibodies so hopefully you see that picture there of why it's so important to have those memory cells now natural killer cells they're going to release perforin, which breaks down cell membranes on the abnormal cells that are not presenting MHC1 receptors. So you have the cells that are presenting the antigen on an MHC1 receptor. Then you also have cells that aren't doing that, but they're abnormal. So that's why the natural killer cells will supplement the cytotoxic T cells because the cytotoxic T cells really target that MHC1 receptor, whereas these natural killer cells just look for those abnormal cells. So that's why it's important that you have natural killer T-cells, which really combine the use of both of these. So they recognize the MHC one receptors, but also are attracted to those abnormal cells like the natural killer
0: cells are themselves. So it's very helpful with viral or bacterial microbes. So you have active immunity and passive immunity. First, let's talk about active immunity. So this is where you are purposefully putting into the body something to basically start the adaptive immune system. You're wanting memory cells to be formed, antibodies to be formed while fighting off this pathogen. So you can give an inactive form of the toxin or just the antigen part of the pathogen, or you can give the full pathogen. So this would be an example like the flu shot or basically introducing the pathogen with the idea of creating this adaptive immune response to it. So when you're actually faced with a pathogen, you already have this adaptive immune system built up with the memory cells already made. And so you have this active immunity against the pathogen. Passive immunity is where you get someone else's antibodies. So this is not as long of an immunity as the active immunity. Active immunity is where you're personally building up this adaptive immune response to the pathogen. Passive immunity would be an example like if the mom is giving immunity to the baby, or you can get synthetic antibodies known as monoclonal antibodies. This would be where you target basically abnormal cells in the body These tag them for destruction, and then your body is able to destroy them. So this, again, does not last as long as the active immunity, where you build this up yourself. But this is another form of immunity, and this would be your passive immunity.
1: So next, let's move into hypersensitivity reactions. And it's typically differentiated into five different reactions, one through five. One being the most sensitive, this is more of the anaphylaxis response that we typically see. And this is an immediate response to antigens, usually within 30 minutes. The main cause of this are going to be IgE antibodies. And this is due to a repeated exposure. So let's say you have a bee sting. If you get a bee sting, you, your body may have a slight reaction to it. And this is going to mainly be from a non-IgE reaction, usually due to mast cells and basophils releasing some mediators that are going to cause an anaphylactic type picture. Well, after that exposure, the body's going to make some IgE antibodies against that venom and that bee sting. So that the next time the person gets a bee sting, may have a more severe anaphylactic response to it because all those IgE antibodies are able to boom, cause a response and it's going to be a lot more severe this time because it's going to release a lot of histamine and other factors that lead to worse hypersensitivity. So hopefully that makes sense there. The first time that you have this type 1 hypersensitivity reaction to something, it's not going to be from IgE. It's going to be more from the mast cells and basophils, but then a repeated exposure that's an anaphylactic response is going to be more from the IgE antibodies. I remember a couple years ago, When I was mowing my lawn, I got stung by a bee when I was going next to this bush, and it wasn't that big of a deal, and I just had a normal bee sting. Well, two weeks later, I got stung again, and I had a little bit worse of a reaction, and about a month later, I got stung again, and it turned into cellulitis, and the doctor basically said that every time I got stung, I started to have a worse and worse reaction because of that immunity that was um, those IgG antibodies that were building up and causing a response. So... Uh maybe that's not a perfect example of this, but hopefully that kind of paints that picture of how repeated exposure can cause a worse reaction here. What but, did
0: you do to the bees in your town to get stung three times <laughs> in the course know. of a month? Well,
1: it took it the third time for me to realize that there was a huge like thing of bees that were underneath this big bush. But I just thought <laughs> it was coincidence that there was a beer on the area the first two times. There was a the third time that I investigated and there was like a huge thing. Yeah, it was.
0: Yeah but it's well, bad. It really turned into Now cellular. you know. So, He's not mowing mm-hmm. since.
1: Anyway, so signs and symptoms of a really true anaphylactic type 1 sensitivity reaction are going to be a bronchospasm, a bunch of vasodilation, which is going to lead to hypertension, tachycardia. Uh, basically, tryptase is an enzyme that's going to be released from the mast cells. And so this value is usually going to be elevated. So that's one way you can do a diagnostic test to see if it truly is an anaphylactic response is an elevated tryptase level. We're going to treat with antihistamines, some epinephrine, some abuterol, again, just anything you would do to open those bronchioles back up if you have that bronchospasm. These reactions are common from food, animal stings, ding, 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 bee sting, uh, things like that. Uh, but in the OR setting, when we're going to be dealing with this more. It's usually from medications we give, and the most common medication that we're going to give that will cause an anaphylactic response is neuromuscular blockers, Sucks being the highest offender followed by antibiotics and latex. So usually within five minutes of contact to one of these things is when you're going to start to have a response, and they're really going to turn into that shock-like picture with that bronchospasm and hypoxia. So treat first by instantly stopping whatever you're doing, whatever you're administering, ensure that you have a completely good airway. If you need to put in a tube, put in an ET tube, have 100% FiO2, stop all your anesthesia agents. You really want to get their fluid level up so you can give 10 to 30 mils per kilogram of crystalloids or 10 mils per kilogram of colloids and then you also want to get your epinephrine in there about five to ten micrograms iv for mild symptoms of anaphylactis all the way up to one milligram if they go into complete cv collapse so really those steps are your first big five that you want to do and then you want to be thinking give your antihistamine so that'd be 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram of benadryl you might need to put on some catecholamines to keep the blood pressure elevated, some steroids, some bronchodilators. You can also give methylene blue or glucagon. Another thing that you can do is if they have persistent hypoxia, hypotension, if they're still really acidotic, you can throw on some sodium bicarb. And then if you really need to get up that blood pressure as well, you can also throw on some vasopressin. So hopefully that makes sense about the type 1 hypersensitivity.
0: Next, let's talk about type 2 hypersensitivity. So, this is going to be cytotoxic hypersensitivity. This is going to be due to IgM or IgG antibodies and the complement system. This is going to take several minutes to a few hours to show. So, in type 1, where you saw that very quickly, then type 2 is going to be a little bit longer, a few hours for this to show up. Some examples of this would be myasthenia gravis, you're familiar with that, thrombocytopenia. You can also see this with your transfusion reactions. If you have a reaction here with just type 2, then you're going to want to treat with immunosuppressive agents. You can also give anti-inflammatory agents. And then to diagnose this, you'll have a positive antibody titer. So type 2 is a little more straightforward, I think, than type 1. Type three, this is the immune complex hypersensitivity. This is gonna be inflammation to an antibody antigen complex that binds together in the body and then becomes stuck in small vessels, joints, tissues. So that should be kind of putting up some red flags in your mind, things that you should be thinking about. This is gonna be IgG and IgM again. This is gonna be things like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. So again, that makes sense if you're starting to think about How these complexes form, how they get stuck, and you'll have joint pain, vessel pain. These are things that we are fairly familiar with. You'll treat this the same as type 2. So you can give immunosuppressant agents, you can give anti inflammatory agents. Diagnostic test for this is to do a biopsy of the tissue, and you'll see a depletion of complement levels. This is because the complement is active, trying to get rid of all of those complexes that are formed there in the vessels and joints. Quickly, we'll talk about type 4 and 5 here to wrap up these types of hypersensitivity reactions. So type 4 is cell-mediated. This takes even longer where you can see several days to see an effect. This is caused by macrophages, T lymphocytes, and monocytes. An example of this would be poison ivy or even TB. You'll treat this the same as you do for type 2 and type 3. So again, those immunosuppressive agents and then also the anti-inflammatory. Type 5 is where you have autoantibodies that stimulate target cells. So probably the biggest example of this that you'll see is Graves' disease. So again, that would be type 5 for these hypersensitivity. So just running through them really quickly. Type 1 hypersensitivity. These are going to be really fast reactions, about 30 minutes. These are typically with the IgE. This would be examples like your bee sting. Type 2 is your cytotoxic hypersensitivity. That's IgM or IgG. Those take a few hours. That'd be like myasthenia gravis or transfusion reaction. Type 3 is your immune complex hypersensitivity. This is where you have lupus, or rheumatoid arthritis. These are where those complexes are forming together in the vessels and joints. Type 4 is cell-mediated. That would be something like poison ivy or TB. And type 5 example would be Graves' disease.
1: Well, that wraps us up for our discussion today on the immune system. Clearly, this is not an all-encompassing discussion on this topic. There are a lot, and I mean a lot, of autoimmunity disorders, which is where this could go wrong in our bodies. So kind of along with that type 5 hypersensitivity reaction that Tanner was talking about with Graves' disease, that's an autoimmunity disease that we have in our body. You also have Hashimoto's, you have MS, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, diabetes, et cetera. The list goes on and on about different types of autoimmune disorders that our bodies can have in which you have antibodies that attack our own cells. And so just take what we've talked about today to then go and look into these different processes. A lot of them we've talked about in our endocrine discussion previously, especially with uh, diabetes, things with the thyroid, et cetera. So I'd really encourage you to go back and, and listen to those if you are still confused on some of those topics. But again, I encourage you to uh, use what We have gone over today to take a look at some of these diseases uh, and what can go wrong, especially with cancer. I know there are some different forms of cancers with the immune system, such as leukemia as a perfect example. So take a look at some of those and hopefully now that you understand T cells and B cells, those type of cancers will make more sense. So... Again, hopefully this is a good discussion and review for you and just a fundamental basement floor level idea of the immune system and how our bodies
0: can be altered because of it.